soothsayers, holy and unholy, prophesied for centuries this age would come, the day of doom, when the verdant earth would perish in fire and trampling, in screaming and gnashing beneath the hooves of the mighty pig titan. What they didn't say is that he would be a cybernetic monstrosity 50 stories tall we helped create, with a cockpit from which we could control nothing, but from which we would have front row seats to the end of the world, as we watch all things firm and familiar perish in agony outside. We now come to understand the bitter truth about what was reality. Reality is a sick fiction. Featuring Matt of the Backwards Ball Cap. I really think we've achieved niche internet micro-celebrity now. Brett, the caped occultist. Will we ever make something that's not a hate crime? Patrick, paranormal investigator. I was just a simple cryptozoologist. And Puggles, avatar of the pig juggernaut of doom. <laughs> Come on, get on the pig juggernaut of doom, he said. It'll further our careers, he said. Matt, you're muttering to yourself again in that concerning way that makes me tempted to believe you don't respect my decisions. Well, we are a teensy bit trapped inside the engine of the apocalypse right now. But, just saying. Yes, this may be a giant pig that is trampling civilization into ashes and rubble. But the high-voltage broadcast tower in his cranium is allowing us to reach listeners we never dreamed of reaching before. True. Matthew, can't you see what's happening outside the cockpit? Now, I enjoy your stories on monsters. It's not called, called that, that anymore. anymore. I'm just saying. You missed my show, Patrick McGannon, Paranormal Investigator, too. But uh, it doesn't seem a little excessive to just, uh, you know, promote a podcast? Well, it is difficult to sleep at night with all the screaming of the masses drifting up from the red glow of the apocalypse below, but we did get 5,000 streams the other day, so... Brett is not right on this one! And that wasn't 5,000 streams, it was 5,000 screams! I am totally right on this one. The situation is normal. This is winning. It does feel pretty good to be writing and telling stories again. Guys! I love you, but you're literally destroying the world! I mean, yeah, it looks a little rough right now, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I guess we can't even be sure that it has anything to do with us. Brett decided to practice Tumblr-grade witchcraft and accidentally summons the Desolator. Then he fed off your creative energy to the size and power of a minor god. Minor? Oh, 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 oh. I assure you I'm of legal age, but I never card a goddess. And then Brett literally said, Shinji! Get in the robot pig! And then you agreed, Matthew, and we got on the robot pig. Call me a conspiracy theorist. I am. But it seems like you two might just be a wee bit wrapped up in the causality of this state of affairs. But, like, in this day and age, how else is a small content creator supposed to promote himself on the internet, am I right? I mean, a small content creator without tatas. I failed to see how this was a bad idea. Yeah, me neither, I guess. Did you think you're being a little negative, Patrick? Brett, you've got a story, right? Um, guys, please don't. Your creative energy only makes this engine of apocalypse bigger and stronger. <laughs> yes, Matt. Then we'll round it out with one of yours.
This is Pastorus. The melancholy morning clouds out the window, down the school hallway, seethed like the boiling pustules of the Black Death, in which some vestigial pulse persisted against one's final destiny. Clouds which had spat out snow, the color of road slush, all week. The bell had just rung as the stiff-necked man known as Mr. Durant fought his way upstream through the released students. He picked up clips and phrases of what they said, phrases like, since the accident, and something in the clouds, and did you see the post about the pastorus? To which another replied, sus, urban legend. They make AI videos like that now. Look at her fingers, bro. Another voice cut through, an eighth grader. Hey, Mr. Sins! That's not my name, Mr. Durant muttered, giving the student, Rylan, a dismissive shake of the head. Off to write him up if he doesn't lay off that. Still, as far as the bald jokes go. Now near the end of the hall, with the students tumbling down the stairs dwindling to a trickle, in the sour yellow glow of the windows in the double doors, Mr. Durant came to the office he sought. In the hall in front of this office, there was a line of five blue plastic classroom chairs. One had a chunk broken out of the seat where a kid had likely tried to stand on it at some point. None of the seats at this moment had a kid in it. Mr. Durant marveled. Slow day for the disciplinarian? Impossible. He stepped into the strong light of the small room. She had her boots kicked up on the desk a former police officer, and now disciplinary assistant to the principal, Jane Weathers. She was the sandy sort who could not only make a nylon windbreaker and cowboy boots look attractive, but potentially lethal. Jane, Mr. Durant said with a nod. Art, Mrs. Weathers returned. Slow morning? Jane laughed. I'm dropping kids from the school left and right. We're about to run out at this rate. There are only no kids here because I just expelled them all. Give it five minutes. There'll be another batch. So what have you got for me? Mr. Durant closed the door behind him. Well, I'm about to email you a book the size of War and Peace. She huffed and rolled her eyes, sitting forward, putting her boots on the floor and folding her hands under her chin. The indomitable liveliness within her shone through eyes that had seen some shit, and a deeply lined smile like summer sun through sallow drapery. Sometimes she would hint at what she had to deal with in her past life as the officer in the department who specialized in children and young people. Mr. Durant found the things he learned working in the middle school hard enough to handle. He was always running information to the counselors, if not the disciplinarian or the student resource officer. He learned things about the kids he wished he could unlearn practically every day. He learned things that made him wish they had been born into a better world every day. I found the Google Doc with the chat between Gavin and Sam that you wanted. Unfortunately, that led to about 50 docs, which I'm still stepping through the version history on. Sam? I mean Aspen. Sam? She repeated more emphatically. She goes by Sam now. It's not in sis yet, so we're not required to say Sam. Also, she's the they. I see, Jane breathed. Be careful with that if it's not in sis. If the parents don't support it, they'll say we're grooming them. 
I've had that phone call because a teacher decided to use a chosen identity the parents didn't like, and I'm not taking the heat again. Well, anything incriminating? Not for what you were looking for. But Gavin asked her for stuff, and she, uh, they, obliged. Vape, Weathers said decisively. Yeah, but worse than that, I found three chat docs Sam had with emails outside the organization. Outsiders, randos. The one she, they, chatted with most appears to be a student in Arkansas. She can do that? We're blocking external emails for students, but apparently, I found out, the admins want external doc sharing so the students can share their schoolwork with parents. Not that anyone is using that option, as far as I see. Well, did you shut them down? Yes, and now I'm the owner, and I wouldn't say the lucky owner. You got any bleach so I could wash my eyeballs? That bad? Now her volume raised. Anything we need to tell PD about? No, at least not that I found yet. Just this Arkansas guy. He's basically trying to sext her on docs. To her credit, she shuts it down. She doesn't get into it. Anyway, the docs are headed your way. I haven't picked through them all yet. There's a lot. I just wanted to let you know it was coming. Mrs. Weathers fell back in her seat. Occasionally, Art Durant would suddenly remember it was confided in him there was a shotgun hidden in that room, and he would find himself trying to guess where it was hidden, like a morbid game of Where's Waldo. We did this, Jane said. What did we do? Gave them the whole world at their fingertips? Their Chromebooks? We brought this on. We're responsible for all the shit that finds its way to them, the things that they're exposed to, and the things that we enable. It's on us, Art. We can put up as many fences as we like, Durant began to say. But the cow will still manage to slip out of the pasture. Weather's completed. Well, on this one at least, we left that gate wide open, Durant muttered. I see this school as my fortress, my castle, Weathers said, taking on her cocky cop tone. It wasn't the first time she hopped on this exact soapbox for Durant. It's our job to keep these kids safe, but it's like we built this house with these four walls, put a heavy lock on the door to keep them safe from everything outside, and then decided it was smart to put in a window. We built a fortress, but let it all in anyway. It's on us. It didn't used to be this way. Mr. Durant sighed and smiled weakly. I'm with you on that. Can we go back to pen and paper, please? Ha! Jane laughed. We can't shove this monkey back in the box, Art. Then we can't say we're a one-to-one school with technology, and that looks too good on paper. You know, when they first started one-to-one Chromebooks, I mean, Tech had a meeting with all the teachers and said, this is only going to work if you promise to keep on top of monitoring what they're doing online. Then they said, we can do it if the teachers take the responsibility to supervise and are proactive about it. But look how much they get away with. The kids have nearly free reign. Mr. Durant nodded. But you try, Art she added, and I appreciate that. You're always looking out for them. We can only do the best we can with what we've got. Thanks, he said, still nodding. See you soon, no doubt. Mrs. Weathers gave a coy finger wave, but a tired smile, and Art Durant let himself out of the room.
The class was called Artistic Self-Expression, Mr. Durant's fifth hour. The studio room was normally bright thanks to a wall of south-facing windows. Today, they only let in the somber, cosmic brownout. Those clouds, Durant thought. Yo, Mr. D! called one of the eighth graders as they poured in for the class. My fave teacher! Everybody loves the D! Another boy proclaimed, but he couldn't pinpoint who. The whole string of boys snickered, filing past the art room lockers to their seats. One of them whispered something, out of which he only caught, again, the nickname Mr. Sins. Sam came in among the eighth graders with a drawn-out, Hi! and a girlish wave for Mr. Durant. Sam's girlfriend, Maddie, entered, stuck to her arm. Sam was a tall girl with curly golden hair now cropped short, head to toe mostly in black. Maddie was not as tall, but a scarecrow in an autumn sweater and pre-worn jeans, bleach blonde hair, big specks. Sam might be a they now, but that was the girliest hi and wave Durant could imagine. It was ironic all this identity stuff he reflected, because there was nothing not girly about these two. Other than that, they were dating each other, perhaps, but it seemed like every 13- or 14-year-old girl was dating another girl now. And he really wondered where it came from, since it wasn't a thing at all only a few years ago. What was the impetus, or what did they see in themselves? Hi, gals, Durant muttered. Maddie skipped over to his desk, clutching her Chromebook to her burnt umber sweater like something precious. She stood there for a moment. He looked up. What's up? Hi, she said. Then she sat down on the floor in front of his desk. Hi, he said again. Moments later, Sam joined her, her usual place in the corner on the floor by the desk. Maddie unfurled her 11 by 17 drawing to resume, and Sam got on Clecky on her Chromebook with the stylus she used to draw. He looked at the snickering 8th grade boys assembling around the table at the other end of the studio. He was aware of boys like these, maybe these very same boys, could be heard saying things to Sam and Maddie in the hall like furry, they were not as far as new furries, and fag, and just kill yourself, emo. Hell, maybe that's why, Durant reflected. All the why you need to see why they're dating each other instead of this lot. If this is what young men look like these days. Yo, Mr. Sins! yelled one by the name of Aiden, throwing up his hand. These kids have no fear of adults, Mr. Durant thought as he stood and faced them. Aiden, that is not my name. One more time and that's right up. We're done with steps. You got it, Mr. D, he said and then muttered. Nobody likes a sore D. The one called Carlson, across from him, couldn't hold it back and snorted. Aiden, what did you want? Mr. Durant demanded. Uh, just to say hi to my favorite teacher, he said. Oh, and uh, what are we supposed to be doing today? The same thing we have been doing, Aiden, Mr. Durant answered. It's a work day. Keep working on your symbolic self-portrait. It's due Friday. Ah, more drawing, he complained. My man, this is an art class. What did you sign up for? To kick it with my bros and get to hang out with the D, he shrugged. How am I going to give you a grade if you don't actually finish something? Oof, burn. You're really bringing me down today, Mr. D. Yeah, Carlson chimed in. Why so sore, Mr. D? Carlson, Mr. Durant warned. Somebody rub you the wrong way? Carlson barely got it out before exploding with laughter. Office, go, all of you. Really? Aiden whined. I didn't, all of you. 
All of you have shown nothing but disrespect. I'll call ahead. Mrs. Weathers will be expecting you, so don't dally. Go, now! Aiden threw a pen onto the table. It skidded and shot off onto the floor. He turned and slinked for the door, Carlson still laughing in tow, and the others silently displeased with it all beside them. When they had left and the room fell quiet, Mr. Durant sat and got lost, staring at the clouds for a moment. He looked over the other students out at the tables who were working, or pretending to work, and not very well, like Pearson, who was clearly playing a game on his Chromebook. And then after scanning the room, became aware again of the two girls on the floor in front of his desk, as Maddie's near-bone-white crown of hair bobbed beside his inbox. He remembered he had threatened to call ahead to Jane and picked up the phone. There was no need to look up her extension. 7473. You missed the sound of my voice or what, Art? I was just thinking you were probably wishing I would call. Sent five your way. Flagrant disrespect and inability to follow redirects. Do you need a write-up? Dick jokes again? Yeah. Don't you worry, you're pretty bald head, Art. I'll take care of it. Thanks as always. He hung up. Maddie began laughing like an insane person. Durant felt his face flush, sure at first that she was laughing at the conversation he just had on the phone. Could she hear what Jane had said on her end? Did it sound like they were flirting? Mr. Durant cleared his throat and then asked, What in the world is so funny? Maddie fought through the laughter that was storming through her like a demon possession. She fell onto her side on the tile floor. Her eyes rolled toward him, strangely calm despite the fit behind her big glasses. My dad is dead, she laughed. It's just, just so funny. Oh dear, Sam muttered, not deigning to lift her eyes from drawing on her computer. Here we go. So what? My dad disappeared when I was six and doesn't give a shit about me. At least yours has a good excuse. Yeah, Maddie snickered. Because he's dead. And she erupted again, holding her sides and writhing. Oh my God, it's just so fitting. Maddie. Durant said calmly, standing now and looking down on her. You need to... She drowned him out with a renewed burst of laughter. Pearson at the table was visibly scared. Durant drew a deep breath and waited. Maddie, he tried again. And then the last part of what she said hit him and he couldn't resist asking. Why do you say it's fitting? Her laughter became choppier. She was tiring. Her wan face had grown rosy and bead-like tears lined her eyes. Because, she choked through the mad chuckling, of course the universe would hate me. Mr. Durant was struggling to find the right words, but Sam interrupted while his mouth hung open. Look, Mr. D, Sam chimed in, as if nothing unordinary at all had been said. She turned the Chromebook so he could see. What is that? he stammered. What he beheld was a tortured human face of black, scribbled lines, sunken eyes, weeping brown muck like the clouds outside the window, a wide grimace of sorrow distorting his face. The mire that made the creature's tears also had sad little eyes in it. That's the suicide god, she answered calmly. Well, that's another referral for the counseling office, Arch Durant reflected once the room was empty, falling into his droopy office chair and nearly dropping out the back. At the call of, Mr. D, he nearly jumped out of the chair again. Rylan, he shouted. 
Sorry, I didn't hear you coming. Uh, might need a change of drawers now. What's up? His eyes were shifty, cautious. He took the chair across the desk and sat forward. Hey, I wanted to say thanks for getting the Porsche girl blocked, and... Ronnie McNutt? Yeah, Durant said. About a month ago, Rylan had come to him saying there was a rumor about a suicide video making the rounds that, quote, everybody was watching. That was Ronnie McNutt, the username of a streamer who killed himself on stream, and Aiden had asked for Mr. Durant to tell the admins to get it blocked on the school Chromebooks. Durant did just that. But when he looked in GoGuardian for watches of the video, the only student to have watched it on network was Rylan himself. Shortly after that, Rylan brought up the Porsche girl, which referred to a piece of gore footage from a wrecked Porsche that circled the internet. Again, only Rylan had looked it up as far as he could tell. I've got another one I've heard was going around, though, that I think needs to be blocked. Okay, Mr. Durant murmured. It's called... Pastorus. Okay, I'll take care of it. He didn't really care to hear what exactly it was this time. It was always horrible. Pastorus, Rylan repeated. They don't need to see this. There was an awkward pause, and then Rylan pushed himself up from the chair. The, there are multiple videos. Don't watch the one with the eyes. It needs to be blocked. No one should see this. Thanks, Rylan, Mr. Durant said. I'll take care of it, he repeated. Rylan was pale. He hesitated, nodded, and left. After a deep breath, Durant leaned toward his MacBook and typed Pastorist into the Google search bar. Then he remembered the referral to the counseling office he had to make. Then this put his mind back on Sam, which brought him back to the chat docs he needed to sift through and turn over to Mrs. Weathers. Man, he thought dryly. If only I was a teacher, I might have time to think about doing some teaching. The referral to the counseling office was priority, so he made that call first. Then he brought up Sam's chat docs on his MacBook. In an incognito window, he was logged in as Sam and in her Google Drive. He pulled up the last doc he was reading, titled simply with a heart emoji. She shared it with the kid from Arkansas. He hoped it was a kid anyway, and by all indications it was. He referred to being in class and risking being caught by teachers. Of course, that could all be fake, a ploy. The kid, who he hoped was a kid, was in there now, his My Hero Academia avatar up in the corner and his cursor blinking on the screen. Hey, Bay, it said, punctuated with the flashing of the cursor. Oh, the temptation to mess with this, Mr. Durant thought. Instead, he clicked on the revision history and started to step through from the beginning. On a certain day, Arkansas boy had typed, I can't live without you, and signed it. Your forever simp, Elijah. Mr. Durant felt a little sick. This was all wrong in so many ways. First, he felt gross as hell for spying on some miner's chats without her knowledge. It wasn't necessarily without her consent, since, like all students, she had signed the form. But she didn't know specifically that he was there, watching. Second, when did simp become a good thing? Third, Sam and Maddie had been together as long as he had known them. 
Did Maddie know Sam had at least three chat room boyfriends she was sharing selfies with, declaring themselves simps for her? It'd be unethical for Durant to mention anything to Maddie, but at the same time it felt unethical to know this secret and do nothing. But perhaps it was no secret at all to Maddie. Perhaps they were open like that. But they were also only fourteen and only children. There was no good way to look at it. It was gross to him at every level, and in every angle. On a later day in the dock, he found that the boy had typed, Where are you? Talk to me before I do something I might regret. Durant's blood ran cold. He felt nauseous. He took a screenshot. The next day, the boy had typed, Hey, I'm going to try something. She replied with a question mark. Something crazy, he typed then. Three minutes elapsed between revisions. Then he had typed, framed an asterisk to denote an action like a stage direction in a play. Sucks your tit. Durant involuntarily made a weird, strained noise somewhere between a cough and a gag and a nervous laugh. Sam had replied, Please, don't. Durant felt slightly better. After he had read a little more, he transferred ownership of the document to himself and kicked out the students. Assuming he did it quickly enough, Sam would never know he was the one who had done it. Then he shared the whole thing to Mrs. Weathers, attaching the highlights as screenshots in an email. It wasn't until he was driving home in the slush, under the tawny dusk, that it occurred to him. What if that kid might actually do something crazy? What if he sees he's blocked out of the document, assumes it was her, or assumes he's caught and in trouble, and... Oh, man. He didn't finish the thought, but he wondered whether he would be responsible, to some extent, if rash and unalterable decisions were made by a stranger across the country, in his own conscience, if nothing else. The air crackled like transmission static as the echo of some words, said by no one, faded in Maddie's mind. They said, The dove silent sleeps beneath the seas. She jerked awake. It was Watkins' history class, and she'd come dangerously close to drooling on her composition notebook when her cheek slipped from her palm and startled her awake. Now Siddhartha Gautama, Mr. Watkins lectured, snuck out from the royal palace leaving the protection of his father, the king, who only meant to shelter him from all the bad things in life. Siddhartha saw four sights as he rode through the streets of the city on his horse. Four things he'd never seen before, locked up in the little paradise of his royal castle. First, he saw an old man. He'd never seen anyone really old before. He had to ask what it even was. And that day he learned people grow old. Next, he saw a sick man. Again, he had to ask what it was. He had never seen a serious illness before. Third, he saw a dead man. Again, he had to ask what it was. He had never seen death before. It had always been carefully hidden from him. As you can imagine, having never seen a truly harsh reality in his whole life, the young prince was shaken to his core. Maddie had a dock open on her Chromebook. Dude. She typed to Sam. I'm still thinking about it. After a moment, she could see Sam start typing from a math class on the other side of the school. What? Maddie deleted the line she typed and typed instead. The video's stupid. The pastor is. 
The shit in the clouds. She could still see it when she closed her eyes, as vivid as life. The red, compound eye, like a bloody head of broccoli blossoming from the swirling mire. Fake news, Sam answered. I've been having weird dreams like this one about a quiet dove that sleeps in the sea or something. Sam's cursor started and then halted and then advanced super fast. Me too, she answered in all caps. Maddie began to type, but then Sam deleted it all and typed in big letters. No, you don't understand, but you got it wrong. The ghost swan sleeps in the reservoir. I saw it too. Mr. Durant gazed into the churning sky and automatically muttered a vestige of his Catholic schooling he scarcely remembered remembering. Ora pro nobis peccatoribus. Then he turned away from the windows into the studio and paced. <laughs> he muttered, Mr. Sins. He laughed. Ora pro nobis, he repeated. Peccatoribus. Thinking of the Mr. Sins nickname brought his thoughts back to Rylan was a case study in the pitfalls of giving unmediated internet access to children. As a sixth grader, at age 11, he had coined the Mr. Sins nickname from the Chrome Dome porn star Johnny Sins. Durant had first heard it as Ryland muttered it behind his back rounding a corner in the hall, and Ryland was still venturing where it would be better if he hadn't with Porsche Girl and Ronnie McNutt, and now, what was it called? Pastorus. Durant knew it had rung a bell, and now he recalled hearing it mentioned in the hall. He sat at his desk and typed, Pastoris, and hit enter. He didn't have TikTok, but several exported TikToks came up as shorts on YouTube. There appeared to be a few different videos, just as Ryland had said. Do I even want to watch these? He wondered, but he knew the answer. No, but I have to now. The first was a YouTube re-upload of a TikTok clip from a StreamYard stream. There was still a StreamYard logo on it, in addition to the TikTok title card. A brown-haired young man sat in his gaming chair. Like all TikToks, it was short, but Durant worried nothing was going to happen at first. Then, without warning, without a word, the young man rocked in his chair twice and drew a pistol out of his lap and pressed it against his own chin. He snorted as a sob forced out through clenched teeth. He hesitated, head wrenched back, barrel pressing into the soft tissue under his jaw. But then he screamed. He was suddenly holding the gun at something else, off camera. The scream held on. It was high, insensible. The guy stood and fumbled, backing up against the wobbling wheeled chair. A girl stepped into frame from behind the webcam, dressed all in black. There was a shot. Durant saw it blow through the girl's head. There was another. Another chunk came out of her. Durant convulsed in his chair, forgetting entirely where he was. But the girl didn't fall. There was only this horrible, undeniable hole in her head. She turned slightly to the camera, not all the way, but enough to see. The white collar. The pastoris. The name's meaning clicked for Durant. The clip ended and restarted. Durant stopped it. That was intense enough he didn't care to see it again. He returned to the search results. He just looked at the thumbnails. He was not at all inclined to watch another. 
but he wanted to get a sense of how much material there was. He wasn't going to click until he recognized, in a grainy, poorly lit thumbnail, the facade of the old theater house downtown. The title was Pastorous Sighting Occam, Ohio New. It was a hashtag for Ohio Disaster. Recording in portrait on a smartphone, he saw a familiar main street lined with streetlights and pixelated from being recorded in low-light mode, and he heard a young person's voice. Okay, so it's like two in the morning on day three after the accident, and there's like red freaking lightning in the clouds. Whoa, shit! Another voice exclaimed off-camera as the dark clouds flashed, and Art Durant could swear something was moving in the clouds in that moment. Or more properly, something slithered. But it was surely a trick of the lightning flash, which was, however, admittedly red, making it look a little uncanny no matter what. Did you effin' see that? The first kid screeched. Then in a lower voice, he added, Dude, I'm putting this on TikTok, and laughed nervously. The red lightning flared again. The kids swore some more, but then a third voice said, Hey, who's that? Who's what? Hey, who's over there? The third shouted. The phone camera flailed around, trying to find the source of the commotion. Finally, after a few seconds and a delayed autofocus, it settled on a faraway girl passing on the street, just silhouetted by the streetlights. The lightning flared. The kids all made a noise. The girl turned robotically to the camera, not pausing in her stride. She wore all black, save for the white of her collar. She carried some sort of handgun. Everything became a jostled blur. Then the clip ended. He sat in silence. I have to give this to the SRO, and Jane, he muttered and stood shakily. As he bumped awkwardly against his wobbling chair, it called back in his mind the first clip, the suicide video. He swallowed involuntarily and put his palms on his desk. He thought a moment. Then he searched back in that video clip for the best frame showing the pastoress. It's not real, he said. He looked closely at the hand. It was just a ball of indistinct and oddly jointed fingers and too many of them. This was made with AI, he realized. Art began to relax. It's not real. And the local clip? It's just a costume prank for TikTok views, of course. He laughed and fell back into his chair. Then, unexpectedly, he found himself crying as the tension fled from his chest. Some days he let Sam and Maddie eat lunch in the studio. Today they didn't show up, so Durant wandered out to the cafeteria to check in on them. If they weren't with him, they had a usual table in the corner with the usual crew of misfits, and indeed he found them there now. Sam was already flailing in an overwrought wave as soon as she saw him coming down the hall. Sup, crew, he said, standing at the open seat between Maddie and another alt-girl, Jacine. The only boy at the table was Xander, a quiet stick figure in a demon hunter teal and black checkered hoodie with ginger hair combed down like an anime emo. Sit, Maddie commanded. When he didn't immediately, 
She grabbed his sleeve and pulled at him and repeated the directive. As he sat, he noticed the Sharpie drawing snaking up and down Maddie's forearms. Fresh tats, he said. Still hurt? Ooh, do you want one? She chimed. Uh, not really, he answered. She pulled the Sharpie out of her pocket and twiddled it between her fingers. I'm going to draw on you now, she announced. How about not? Durant said. She's going to draw on you now, Sam said across the table with a tone of just accepted. Just let me draw something on the back of your hand, Maddie pleaded. Eh, fine, he said and put out his hand. She took it and pulled it and slammed it cartoonishly against the table. She uncapped the marker with a flourish and thoughtfully bit the cap in her teeth. Sam's eyes went wide with disbelief, or terror perhaps. You sure you want Mads writing on you? Durant started to say no, but then rethought. Sometimes it was more important to send the right signal than to be funny. He got serious and said, I trust her. He knew about her confidence issues and deemed it important to give her what trust he could give. Famous last words, said Xander, in maybe the third time he'd ever heard him speak. That, he knew, was a bad omen. While Maddie dug into the back of his hand with the marker, Mr. Durant resolved to ask them what was on his mind. I wanted to ask you guys. I heard there's a disturbing video going around, and I want to know if you know anything. Pastorous, Maddie declared, lisped due to the cap in her teeth. Watch it. No, don't watch it, Sam countered. They say, Maddie interrupted. They say if you watch it, all your joy will perish and you will die. That's a bad horror movie trope, Durant said. I hate to burst your bubble, kid, but you know it was made with AI, right? You can tell by the hands, and the local ones just cosplay. Did you watch the one with the eye? Sam demanded. Her eyes were even bigger now. But about then, Maddie spit out the marker cap. Are you done? Durant wondered and looked at his hand. He let out a long, tired breath and glanced between Maddie and the back of his hand. His new permanent marker tattoo said, I heart hot moms. Maddie burst out laughing. Sam covered her mouth in dramatic shock and shook with suppressed and nervous laughter. Xander held up his hand for a high five, which Durant did not return. Oh, my lord, he muttered, shaking his head, and he stood up. You'll hear from Mrs. Weathers. A little later, he sheepishly approached Mrs. Weathers in the hall, where she was serving lunchtime hogar duty. I don't know if you want to do anything about this, but... He trailed off and held up the back of his hand. Jane squinted at it, frowned a moment, and then laughed riotously. You brought that upon yourself. Got some alcohol wipes in my office, still from COVID. She laughed hard enough that she put her hand on his shoulder as if to hold herself up from doubling over. I'm having an adult beverage tonight, Durant reflected. As the eighth graders left lunch for fourth hour, Maddie came running without warning into Durant's room. He jerked upright in his chair. She pointed at him. Watch the one with the eyes. From outside the door behind her, he heard Sam shout, No! 
Don't do it! And like in a cartoon, two long, disembodied arms reached from the door and pulled at Maddie from the shoulders. It was quiet for a moment. Then Maddie broke free and ran in again, laughing. Do it! So, uh, if the legend says you watch it and you die, are you trying to kill me? Durand answered. She's trying to kill you, Sam said out in the hall, and then added lower. Like she did me. Don't take it personally, Maddie declared. Some of my favorite people are dead. She burst out laughing and ran out of the room. Mr. Durant rocked in his dying office chair and wondered, Do I call the counselor for this one? And do I call him for her or for me? He spun around a full revolution in his chair like a little kid and then woke up his MacBook. He stared out at the pouring sludge a moment and then he typed into his new tab, Pastorus with the eye. It grew darker through the day until midnight dawned at two in the afternoon. The muddy sleet was unforgiving. The power flickered a few times just after the last lunch wave had ended when everyone was in fifth hour. Now, there was never a carbon monoxide alarm. Neither was a gas leak found on the day of the brownout when everyone fell asleep. No one saw it coming and none was aware when it happened. Sometime in sixth hour, the lights dimmed to a sickly, half-hearted yellow, and the air interchange began to emit a sickly, grinding sound and the smell of hot metal. And just like that, every human in the school insensibly fell asleep. Silent, the dove beneath the water slumbers. Durant realized he'd been dreaming, He had been watching from overhead as a group of nameless students advanced like zombies through the hills and along the cliffs east of town, down toward the edge of the reservoir, and there had been a feeling of building panic. They couldn't be stopped. All he could do was helplessly watch like God in heaven as the children transgressed into mortal peril. Toward what dwelled within the wind-churned waves, he couldn't stop them. If they reached what slumbered... It looked like a pallid stork rising through the swirling black. He jerked awake when he felt the oppressive brown shadow over everything. He glanced over the jaundiced ceiling lights and the empty tables. At first, he thought only he had slept. As it was his planning period, and it wasn't unheard of that no one would have disturbed him at that time. But the lights. The atmosphere was all wrong. The clock said 2.22 p.m but it could have been A.M. going by the darkness outside the tall windows. Slush beat upon the glass and coursed down in rivulets. He hurried from the studio into the hall, head throbbing, baffled at the silence aside from the dull rumble of the HVAC and the onslaught of sleet against the panes of glass. Weed! An alarm somewhere squealed. The emergency flashers along the dim hallway began their frantic, disorienting dance. What is going on? He yelped no one. Somewhere across the building, he heard a heavy door shut. Hello? Hello? He yelled, but nothing answered. Mr. Durant poked his head into the dark neighboring classroom where the blinds were drawn and saw heads all like big, dumb potatoes on the tables. Gas, he wondered. Then why am I? What is... He shouted at the unmoving bodies. Hey! 
Hey, wake up! He stumbled on, finding a phone, his fingers hammered out the extension of the front office. Dead air. Brownout. He doubted it would work if the first attempt didn't, but he tried 911. Same dead air. He tried the internal emergency all call. Nothing. Shit, he muttered and slammed the headset down. It immediately tumbled out of the cradle and hung from the edge of the desk like a swinging dead man. Art made his way to the front office and found the ladies passed out like everyone else. The high-pitched alarm was coming from a device on the wall he hadn't really noticed before. He squinted at the little readout to see what it could tell him. Emerge strobe bat 2FLE. It just told him there was a backup battery out on the emergency light somewhere. He punched the acknowledge button. Mercifully, the alarm stopped drilling into his skull. He knelt where the nearest secretary had collapsed. He started to check for a pulse, but noticed right away she was still breathing. At his touch, she made a small noise and tried to roll away. Just sleeping, he recognized. Hey, he barked, and he shook her shoulder. Hey, wake up, Nancy! Nancy! She snorted, and that was all he got out of her. Behind the desk, there was an iPad on which the front desk secretaries could watch the back door via security camera and remotely unlock that door when students arrived at it between passing periods. Art tapped the screen to wake it up. It had fallen asleep after it went onto battery, but it was still on. But there was no feed, of course, no power, no network. However, he had an idea. He ran down the administrative hallway to the assistant principal's office, where he found the man face down on his desk. His phone was out in front of his face. Art woke up the phone and held it in front of the assistant principal's face. It unlocked. Yes, face recognition. He knew he had the cameras on here somewhere. He flipped through the pages of apps. Yes, now maybe I can see what happened. Indeed. There was still a cellular data connection. But again, the feed was black. Well, of course, the cameras would be without power and network too, wouldn't they? But, then again, it wasn't right now that he needed to see. Durant set the playhead back in time, when the feed was live, and he could see the hallway and the back door and the gloom outside. He rewound some more. It took him a good minute to figure out how to do this precisely. You'd think they'd make this thing more intuitive, not useful in a real emergency. But he eventually found the moment when the lights went dim. A student, named Jeremiah Collins, was wandering the hall, probably having taken one of his usual twenty-minute bathroom passes, for which he continually had detention. Durant watched him hitting the gritty down the hall, alone, in the uncanny quiet of a silent film. Then suddenly the lights flickered, and he tumbled onto the floor. A half-second later, the feed went black, and remained black. Durant rewound and watched the last few seconds again. Jeremiah Collins hit the gritty down the hall and then laid out like a tossed doll. But he noticed one more thing. He stopped the video replay just before it cut out. At the end of the hallway, in the window of the double doors, there was a small silhouette. Durant ran down the hallway he had been watching on camera. The far window was empty now. All was silent. Jeremiah Collins remained heaped on the economy carpet, hall pass ahead of his outstretched hand on the floor. Durant approached the double door and its glumming window, battered with running filth, slowing as he passed the collapsed Jeremiah Collins. There was no one now, but... 
from the shadowed storage space beneath the staircase. A figure lunged forward and took a fistful of Durant's shirt. Rylan! Durant shouted. Mr. D! We need to hide! What is it, Rylan? We... we're being judged. It's... our judgment day! She's come here to judge us all! What are you talking about? The pastorist, Mr. D. She was here! I saw her! Rylan, I'm gonna have you follow our Alice training, okay? I need you to just go and run and get clear of the school. As soon as you feel like you're safe, bang on a door and get help. But, but... On second thought, Durant couldn't be sure where the threat was, or even if there really was one. Never mind, he said. You're with me. Come on, we'll get out of here and we'll get help together. Rylan's eyes went wide. Durant turned to the glass. Red lightning flashed as Myers splattered the window. Backlit. There was a girl. On her collar was the white square. Her doll-like face was a blank of expression. Her robotic eyes were shadowed with a look of sleeplessness. She raised a hand and planted it on the glass. It had seven fingers. Seven because the sixth forked into two fingertips at the knuckle. As he watched, the seventh merged entirely into the sixth, as if correcting a transitory error. The big green eyes glided smoothly onto Durant. Her face continued to register nothing, but her oversized eyes held fast on him. Shit, Durant swore. Let's go, man. Now he grabbed Ryland by the shirt and pulled him out of the stairwell and shoved him down the hallway. He stumbled into a sprint and was off. Durant tarried and faced the impossibility that stood as real as anything opposite him in the glass, his heart pounding. She tried the door. It shook, but the latch held, automatically locked between passive periods before the outage. Her hand slid across the glass toward the seam in the double doors, expression unchanging and cold eyes unwavering. She's not real, he thought. She's a mere mimicry of a human being. What then? Fingers, flattened and liquid, slipped through the weather stripping of the door and flailed in the interior air. Durant, mouth agape, staggered backward. The fingers stretched and fumbled for the latch. He remembered that everyone who watched the video, the one with the bleeding red eye, was supposed to die. Maddie watched it. Sam watched it. He knew Rylan watched it. He himself had watched it. The feeling in his brain when he had looked into the bleeding eye. Something between a red cauliflower and a fly's compound eye. Had reminded him of the sound of a 56k modem connecting to the internet. The alarm squealed again. Durant jumped out of his skin, but he grabbed the snow shovel leaning against the wall between the trash cans by the door and skimmed the blade across the mullion bar, severing a number of liquid fingers, which tumbled onto the econo carpet like blue bleeding half-earthworms. The pastoress withdrew her hand without a wince and glared, impassive. Calm, she wound back and then slammed her forehead on the glass with stunning force. Durant staggered back. She lurched and hit again. She's trying to break the glass. An eye rolled and locked on Durant as she leaned against the glass. Durant sprinted back down the hall. Halfway, he glanced back and paused at the door of the foods room. Now that Durant had left the door, the pastoress had resumed her weird finger trick instead of brute force. Shit, Durant thought. Perhaps fleeing was the wrong choice, but now she'll be in before I get there. He started to take another step away when he heard rushed sneakers tumbling down the stairs. He heard his name. Mr. Durant! It was Maddie. Durant began running back toward the door. 
Maddie stopped and stared, seemingly in shock, at the girl in front of her and the blue flesh noodles wiggling toward the door latch. Maddie started to reach, mesmerized at the door, before Durant grabbed her by the shoulders. Come on! He pulled her with him down the hall, bounding over Jeremiah Collins as the door opened and the din of the storm flooded in. Sam, Maddie spoke. We have to find her. Durant glanced back, pulling Maddie, and saw the girl walk calmly into the hallway. The door lazily latched behind her, sealing them again in silence. The pastoress held in her hand a pistol, impassive, staring. Shit, 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 Durant thought. Just gotta make it to the corner. As they reached the union of the wings of the school, Durant stole a look back toward the doors as he shoved Maddie ahead around the corner. The pastoress had not given chase at all. She watched from the entryway. Calmly, she smirked and then stepped deliberately up the stairs. Have you seen Sam? Maddie clung to his arm. For the first time since she appeared, he really looked at her and saw now. Pale, mixed with rosy, wide-eyed behind her big glasses. She looked feverish. No, sorry, was all Durant could say. We've, we've got to get... She pulled on him. They paced briskly down the hall. You're going out those doors down the hall and running to knock on the nearest door you can find for help. I'm staying to do what I can here. You have to come with us, Maddie said. Durant didn't say anything more. Because they reached Jane's office, the door was open, the office was vacant and undisturbed. Were you looking for Mrs. Weathers? Maddie wondered, still stuck to Durant's side. Were you worried about her? Weathers is about the only person I'm never worried about, Durant answered. He heaved and pulled the credenza away from the wall. Eureka! He leaned and reached and pulled out a shotgun, which caused Maddie to back up in wide-eyed surprise. I just wanted this, Durant said, and... He trailed off, turning toward the door. By the door, there was a utility bucket, an emergency bucket they used for active shooter drills. He tore off the stubborn lid, which hurt his fingers, and he found a small hand axe. He stuck this in his belt. Looking both ways, he led Maddie back into the hallway. He grabbed her shoulders and swung her around. I know you want to find Sam, but the best thing you can do to ensure her safety and everyone else's is to run. Run and tell someone we need help here. He turned her toward the door and shoved her, perhaps more forcefully than he intended. Confused, she glanced back at him as she stumbled forward. Go, he said. Mr. D, came another voice. Rylan? He was coming down the hall. I thought you were out of here. He looked back at the door and saw Maddie was already gone. Go, he said now to Rylan. Run out that door and knock on doors until someone answers. He ushered Rylan toward the exit, watching up the stairs and listening carefully. That's when they heard the gunshot. The sixth grade hall on the second floor flashed neurotically with the strobes of the emergency flashers, but a patch of the hallway was out entirely, lit only by the brownout lights. Jane Weathers stepped through the hallway with the student resource officer's sidearm, watchful. She'd been in the SRO's office when it happened. When she awoke, she found he would not, but she was able to borrow his gun. She didn't know how these events were related, but on top of this brownout, and on top of the strange sleep that had to be due to the toxic rain, she reasoned, she had seen on the camera feed, on the SRO's desk, the shooter 
the girl dressed like the pastoress from TikTok. She'd seen the videos. She could hope kids would fully recover from a toxic gas poisoning. She could deal with that issue next. But it would be a lot harder to recover from getting shot. The girl with the gun had to be found first. The classroom door on her right popped open. She leaned against the lockers in the dark and watched, holding the barrel at the floor, but at the ready. An eighth grader ran out. She didn't even look both ways down the hall. The girl was too scared, she could tell, to look. From the back of the head and the height, she recognized Aspen, or Sam, rather. Are the kids waking up, too? She wondered. She's potentially running right toward the pastors. Sam! Jane hissed. Sam! Sam stopped and turned. Oh my god! Mrs. Weathers! She said, too loudly. Jane jerked her head to signal to come back this way. Sam hesitated and then followed the directive. As she came near, Weathers instructed her, Get to the nearest exit and run and don't look back. I know, Sam answered, whispering now. I've got to get to the res. The res? Nearest neighborhood will do. Knock on doors, get help, call 911. I've got to get to the res. Have you seen Maddie? Jane shook her head no. Sam ran. Fine, as long as wherever she gets it isn't here, Jane decided and she proceeded down the hall. A few tense moments later, she neared the intersection of the three main wings. Another section of lights was out, except for one pitiful white strobe that flashed by itself at long intervals. The glassy dome of a ceiling-mounted camera clung on the ceiling like a waiting spider. The irony, the camera was dead as a dumb rock, but it was still serving its purpose in a low-tech way. Now she squinted to try and make out the reflection on it of whatever might be down the hall. She placed her back on the wall at the corner of the intersection. She readied her pistol. The short shadow of a child simply walked out and stood beside, as if naive, as if nothing was wrong. In the flash of the strobe, she saw the white collar, the doll-like face, the eyes too large. She saw the pistol. A vintage Walter P-38, a World War II-era German weapon. Seeing it, there could be no hesitation and regret for what she had to do would have to come later. She simultaneously prayed for forgiveness and pulled the trigger. And in the next flash, she watched the open wounds gape and dribble bright bluish fluid, and slowly the flesh writhed like worms and began to close on itself. The girl's stolid face reformed and simultaneously warped subtly into a wry smile. A toxic cloud. This is a hallucination. None of this is real. Now it was the pastoress's turn. Art Durant worked his way up the stairs on the sides of his soles, as quiet as he could in his dress shoes. For God's sake, Jim, I'm an art teacher, not a soldier, he remarked to himself. He about jumped out of his skin when Sam ran into him at the top of the stairs. She visibly reeled at seeing the shotgun he was clutching at the ceiling. Oh my god! She screamed. Mrs. Weathers! What about her? Durant demanded, hushed. Didn't you hear the gunshot? Sam hissed through grit teeth. Durant only nodded and then pointed down the stairs. Sam went on her way. Durant proceeded. The insane flashing of the strobe lights made the lockers themselves seem to move. The intersection of the wings was dark, with most of the lights out. He took a deep breath, and then stepped into the open. 
seeing nothing down any direction. Eventually he crossed the whole width of the school and had found no sign of Weathers or of the pastoress. He neared the landing at the far end and listened. When he peered around the cinderblock wall up to the landing on the way up to the third floor, three pairs of feet waited for him. Startled, he scarcely prevented himself from leveling the shotgun. The pastorist stood between Maddie and Sam, holding each his hand, staring passively at Durant. No! he screamed inwardly. I thought they made it out! What do you want? he yelled. The pastorist answered at her leisure, her accent lilting. What do the I want? she repeated. I am seeking for a new god. Mine is dead. Have you seen of one? She cocked her head. Swiftly, she let go of Sam's hand and drew her pistol and fired a single shot at Durant, which didn't hit him, but it happened so fast he had no idea how close it had come. He dove behind the cinder block and heard their footsteps ascending. By the time he peered around again, they were gone. Durant struggled to control his breathing as he worked his way up the stairs to the third floor. He was woefully aware that he did not have a precision firearm in his hands and not nearly enough experience with firearms on top of that. As long as the pastorist kept the girls close, his firearm was useless and she had the whole advantage. What does she want with them? A quiet voice in him wondered, and then also, why didn't they seem to struggle? He rounded the landing onto the top floor just in time to see a closet door, to which he'd never paid much attention until now, falling shut, but a pair of boots had stuck in it. Weather's boots. In a half second, with a tug and, and he swore, a grunt. The listless feet slipped inside and the door latch clicked. Durant ran and tried the handle and found it locked. He propped the shotgun against the wall and drew the small axe from the emergency bucket out of his back belt loop and swung at the handle. The glancing blow did nothing but hurt his wrist. He went again, and again. He connected with the handle and bent it. He worked on it desperately for some time. After he had blown out much of the composite wood around the handle, and the latch finally failed. From somewhere in his soul, he felt compelled to cry out, Here's Johnny! Sins! And he took up the shotgun and kicked in the door, laughing like a maniac. It slammed against the wall and flew back at him. He shouldered it back open and leveled the barrel into the half-light of a single tungsten bulb dangling from the ceiling. Ah, he thought. Roof access. He was looking at a short flight of stairs wide enough for one, leading up to a platform where a steel ladder approached a hatch like a submarine hatch in the landing, through which the sleet now poured like a chorus of marbles. She's let herself be cornered, he remarked to himself. Good, so it will be easy to kill me, he laughed. He laughed until he placed the axe handle in his mouth and grabbed onto the steel rail. Dirty water slapped him in the face as he looked up into the afternoon night. Moments later, he peered over the hatch's edge, along the lay of the roof, which he found flooded with an inch or two of shimmering water as the downpour had clearly outpaced the drainage. Putting the shotgun down, he did the awkward pullover of a nearly forty-year-old and felt like he just got birthed out of the cloaca of the school into the afterbirth of a polluted universe. Clambering onto his feet, he looked ahead and found the pastorist staring him down again, but Maddie and Sam were nowhere in sight. Instead, the pastorist had the limp body of Weathers hanging upside down from the meteorological survey station that the National Weather Service installed, which, at another time, he might have noted as ironic. 
He stumbled toward them, splashing in the accumulated water and half-blinded by it in his eyes. Where are the girls? he shouted. No answer. What have you done to her? No answer. She only glared like a soaked cat with those fairy emerald eyes. Damn it, why? he demanded, and he leveled the shotgun. He only now noticed that the pastoress held her hand toward Weathers, and little red tendrils connected to the nape of Jane's neck. Something like motor oil, which he scarcely might have noticed amidst the pouring sludge, seeped out of Weathers' eyes and mouth and nose to mingle with the rain. There were little iridescent bubbles in it. No, no, not bubbles. They were tiny human eyes. What do you want? Durant cried to the impassive entity. He shot. The girl's ribcage exploded and then pulled in on itself and mended like the stress slime the kids always played with. He couldn't believe he shot her, a child. But clearly that didn't matter. Clearly nothing goddamn mattered. She was only an imitation of a child. He grabbed the pastress by the throat. She was cold like a corpse. Her huge eyes flicked to him. Taking her time, she retracted her hand from Weathers and began to raise it to his face. She began to smirk her head tilting ever so subtly. He squeezed. It was all he could do now. A part of him remarked that he was now choking what looked like a child with all of his strength. He laughed. The frail tendrils of her fingertips made contact with his face. He found himself transported to a place where it never rained, where, though the stars were innumerable, no sun ever shone. It was a dead world of glaring, bleeding eyes like blooming flowers. He could feel their dark thoughts creeping into his mind. Clearly, nothing matters. Not anymore. Sickness has infected all. You believe I am enemy, she lisped. You are enemy. I am become the shepherd now. Durant collapsed onto his side in the inch and a half of water and twitched curling up like a fetus. In his visions, he saw the pastoress and Maddie and Sam and Ryland too, running down the hall, while she lured him up to the roof, dragging Jane along for bait. She ensured the door would be locked, so that he would waste time fighting it while the girls ran. Whosoever gazes in the eyes that do bleed, she pronounced, of the angels of the suicide god, this one shall surely die death. You, she said, shall surely die death. But the young ones of you, that you do have failed to protect, the young may yet be healed, for they are young. I take them to me. They are become mine now to shepherd. And Durant curled in on himself and convulsed, and in the flickering residual visions he saw again the fields outside of town from overhead and a group of kids running on the footpath to the reservoir. And in the churning waters, something stirred and rose, and water draining from its broad back and wings, it resembled a great white bird. It resembled a space shuttle. And it rose up to greet the children, and embraced them, and took them into its bosom, meant for other worlds.
This is Trailer in the Mist. The boy pedaled his bicycle through the mist and over the gravel road. The air, cool at first, did not raise a single goosebump upon his flesh. The training wheels, which he had been teased for by brothers he could not presently remember, occasionally caught the high ridges on each side of a rut, and the bike tire would spin freely until he rolled past the rut. But his legs did not burn. He had the feeling that somewhere to his left were the backs of houses, and on his right, there was the ghost of an old iron pipe fence. Yet what was behind him he did not know, and what lay in his future he could not say. He looked back over his shoulder, and his head filled with swirls of black. White, hot, liquid heat burned from his right arm and down his shoulder. A pain like fire went across the front of his head, but when he turned forward, it all faded. So he pedaled and pedaled and pedaled. His legs were as strong with each push as they were with the first. His lungs never burned, nor did he seem to need any extra breath for all of his efforts. He took his right hand from the handlebar and pressed the tips of his fingers behind his ear. The pain had faded like the rest of his memories. He pedaled through the mist on an unchanging landscape until, finally, he rolled down a small incline. He shouted in surprise as he lifted his legs and let the pedals spin on their own until, when he reached the bottom, he was met with a wall of mist that seemed solid and impassable. The boy turned left and crashed. He came up, as all little boys do from a bike wreck, finding his cheeks wet with tears and his shorts dusty. His blue and red cap tipped sideways on his head. He lifted a finger and pressed it into the mist, and a shiver ran through him. It felt like putting his finger into a frozen cotton candy. He brought back a finger covered with ice. He shook it away and put his fingers into his mouth out of habit. Outside of that mist, he felt nothing but a distant throb across his forehead, and his right arm felt uncomfortable. The boy looked down at the gravel at his feet. He kicked at a rock, and it rolled away, as he kicked rock should, and came to rest somewhere in there, behind the misty wall. There, on a road that seemed to lead to nowhere, and seeming to have come from nothing, the boy sat down on the cold, hard ground and cried. He made such a fuss that he didn't hear the sounds of dogs barking. Hush now! Get back! Papa! Go and see who that is! Get down, precious! Stop it! Now, Fei-Fei! Papa, will you go see who that is? An old woman's voice carried through the mist with the scent of fresh-baked pies. The boy searched for the woman, but now the mist was all around him. There was no going forward or backward. So he sat and waited, with his left ear cocked towards the sound of the voice, a voice like southern sweet tea on a hot day. Hold your horses, woman! A man answered. Get back, dogs! The sound of the man's voice. Thunder, gravel, and a soothing bedtime story. The dogs are going to wake the dead if you don't hurry up and get that door open. I can't leave this chicken now. The old man said something that the boy couldn't hear. He turned the knob and pushed it, and the door caught on something hard with a bang. Woman, why do you have to go and do all the locks and chains? What can we have that anyone would want to steal? The dogs barked, the door banged, and there was a thud and a grunt, and then the door opened. It's nothing, the old man said. Go and see, Papa, the old woman said. I can see, and I don't see anything but our front yard. My broken-down truck, God rest his soul, in the cemetery, the man said, and then grumbled. We only bought this place because we thought the neighbors would be quiet. Well, all right, said the woman. Now don't be so disappointed. I'd like a meal for just the two of us, 
he said, but it only came out in a whisper. One of the dogs yapped a couple times, and the old man grunted his disapproval and threatened the animal's very existence. Hello? the boy said. Well, hold on now, the old man said. Did someone out there say something? Speak up now. When this door closes, we close. You hear me? The boy tried again, but this time he found his voice a little stronger as he croaked. Hello? Wait a minute, the old man said. Papa, what is it? Who is it? Hush and let me see, the old man said. Who's there? Me? The boy said, and he heard the creak of the porch steps somewhere in the mist. Now, who is me? The old man asked. I'm, the boy said, and he experienced something like a flash of vertigo, and then it was gone. I'm, he began to say, but then he realized that he didn't know what to say. Well, I'm isn't a handle I can call, the man said. A name floated up into the boy's mind. It wasn't his name, not exactly, but he had been called it before. Bubba? The boy said. Woo-wee! The old man said, and the boy could hear the smile in the man's voice. Now, Bubba's a good old-fashioned southern handle, name or not. It's a place to start. And when the old man said the word Bubba, the mist thinned on the left side of the road, and through it, the boy could see an old trailer that had been painted gray and blue. A star hung on the side was also painted blue. That color, along with the gray, made the boy think of football for some reason. But at the moment, he couldn't even remember what football was. On the right side of the driveway was an old white Ford pickup with the yellow and red stripe down the side, sitting on flat tires with junk piled in the bed. On the left was a van that didn't look broken down yet, but the boy thought it may not be far away with the appearance of general wear. Between the trailer and the vehicles, an old man stood leaning on the railing of the deck that skirted the trailer. He had thick salt and pepper hair that was combed up, back, and over like a movie star. Yellow nicotine stains tinged his white beard and his plaid shirt was spotted with stains and holes. The man squinted at him through dirty spectacles but clearly couldn't see him. The boy stepped forward and the man said, Oh, well, you are there, aren't you? And then he stopped as though he saw something unexpected. The man's brow furrowed and his eyes searched the boy for a moment with such intensity that the boy shrunk back a little. The boy thought the old grizzled man as likely to scold him as to offer candy, so he stood back and waited. Well then, the man began, but then sat quietly for a moment, his eyes glazed with tears as he took out his cigarettes, tapped the back of the package, and then leaned on the railing and lit one up. Maybe you were there, and maybe you weren't, the man said as he smoked his cigarette. The boy turned, looked at the mist behind him, and then at the old trailer in front of him, and stepped forward. Well, look here. I do think you are a bubba if I've ever seen one, the man said, and his face spread out in a grin of such cheer that the boy couldn't help but smile himself. Come on in and let's see what Mama's whipping up for dinner. The boy knew not to follow strangers. He'd been told so a million times over, but that person had probably never been surrounded by mist that would freeze you at the touch. So the boy followed the old man into the trailer. Inside, the trailer smelled richly of fat-fried foods, and the boy suspected those currently cooking foods were masking an equally strong smell of cigarettes. I can smell! The boy blurted out, and the old man laughed and said, Well, yes, I suppose you can. 
He entered the trailer through a mud room that led to a kitchen where he found a round woman who was slightly stooped in the shoulders laboring over a stove. Her hair was also salt and pepper gray, and her eyes were a kindly blue-green, but they were red as though she may have been crying. Who was it, Papa? she asked. Well, we haven't worked that out yet. Now don't be shocked, Sherry. Let's just let the boy say his piece, the man, Papa, said. The woman's eyes widened, and she drew in a deep breath. <gasps> Papa, is it? Well, let's just see, Papa interrupted. The boy sat at a small round table in the cramped kitchen. There was no dining room to speak of. The woman looked at the boy. She turned towards the stove and clasped her hands beneath her chin, closed her eyes for a moment, and her lips moved in silence. Then she quickly went back to her cooking. She worked at the food like an artist at her easel. Her movements were practiced and precise. Seasoning shook, potatoes mashed, and gravy was stirred in a flurry. Moments later, a plate of the finest-looking fried chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy sat in front of the boy, and suddenly his stomach growled. Oh, would you look at that, Papa said. Go ahead, Mama said, and they both looked at him expectantly. The boy took a drumstick and bit at it, but nothing happened. It was almost as though he had moved through the chicken, or it had moved through him. He screwed up his face tight and tried it again. This time, his mouth filled with the textures of flaky fried skin. He bit into the hot, moist chicken, and the flavor was exquisite. It tastes just like home, he thought. And as he ate, his head filled with visions of three older brothers, a large German shepherd, a tall man, and his wife. These visions ran like a movie screen with the sound off. He saw them, but the food took all of his attention. He smothered a drumstick in gravy and then dipped it into the potatoes. He bit into it and tore the meat, and the union of flavors and textures were divine. The memories, for that is what they were, ran through him, and in them he saw a man and woman, less sprinkled with gray and wrinkles. Then he looked up and saw his ma and pa looking at him. It's him! Ma exclaimed. Papa, it's him! Paul let out a little groan and dropped back into his chair behind him, as though all of the weight of the world fell from his shoulders. Bubba, he said through a sob. The boy was covered in warmth, hugs, and kisses. The mist lifted. Outside, after dinner, they stood on the back porch looking at what it should have been in the backyard and he thought he had probably played in it before, but there was nothing but a thick wall of mist. Everything except for Ma and Pa and the trailer was covered in mist. Ma and Pa were his grandparents. The boy could see that, he could feel that, but he didn't know what it meant. But he knew he had loved them for a long time. He sat with Ma in her old rocking chair on the back-covered porch. She rocked him, held him, and brushed his hair with her hand. Pa sat across from him, humming a song and lighting up a cigarette. The boy hated to see the old man smoking, but it was so familiar that he thought he could sit there and watch him smoke forever. Ma, the boy said finally. Yes, Bubba, she answered. Who am I? he said, and Ma and Pa looked at each other and then at the boy. You were... You are our Bubba, she said, and then wiped a tear from her eyes. What is a Bubba? the boy asked, and this made Paul laugh. 
Well, a Bubba, for us, is a little boy who we've swaddled and fed. We've mended his scrapes and cuts. We've tucked him into bed at night. He's brought us a little frustration, but brought us even more joy, Ma said. Yeah, but that's not a real name, is it? The boy said. And why can't that be a real name? Ma pretended to scold. You've gone and become a Yankee. Well, that's what we got for moving up here, Mama, said Pa. Darn kids are all north and no south, not unless we're eating barbecue or chicken, that is. At the word barbecue, the boy's head filled with images of a table covered with plates and bowls full of brisket, ribs, sausage, sauces, black-eyed peas, corn on the cob, cornbread, potato salad, and slaw. There were people in lines with paper plates, forking food as fast as they could. There were boys and other boys bigger than him, fighting over who had more food and people telling them, Quit fussing and hurry up. Papa, he remembers, Ma said. Then there was a sound like wind chimes blowing, and the boy suddenly got up and said, I need to go. And though the elderly man and woman shared a look of despair, they did not try to stop the boy. The boy rode his bike through the mist. He pedaled with tireless legs. He felt that peculiar, distant ache in his shoulder and temple, like a pain felt in dreams that lingered in memory after waking. This time he rode faster, and when he reached the end of the mist, he didn't fall off of his bike. He stopped, flipped out the kickstand, and turned to run up to the trailer where the old man leaned over the railing smoking a cigarette. Well, look at here now. It's the bub, the old man said and it only took the boy a moment to remember that this old man had a name. You are Pa, the boy said and smiled. The old man smiled back, and his eyes welled a little. That's right, the one and only, he said. You're not the only Pa, the boy said and laughed. Well, no, but I'm the only one you ever had. Well, I'm the only one you got. I think you're right, but what is a Pa, the boy asked, but before Pa could answer, the boy looked around as if he had realized something. Hey, where's Ma? Well, come on in. Let's see if we can find her. Maybe some grub, Pa said. The boy watched as Pa turned to go into the door. The boy looked at the man in front of him and felt happy and safe, but he didn't know why. He had vague memories about the man in front of him, and they made him smile. But they were memories he could only reach out to but not touch. The one thing that he was sure of was that Pa's hair had frosted like a cold spring morning. He could see the salt and pepper hair, but now it was mostly gray. His beard had a few strands of black in it, and where there was more white, there were more stains from the nicotine. The eyes were the same, and so was the smile. As Pa opened the door, a hideous creature of a man stepped out. His head was bald, and his features were like skin stretched too tightly over a skeleton with knobby growths. His facial hair was patchy and thin, his skin nearly gray, and his teeth were mostly gone. There was a silvery, black substance running through the man's body. Though the man passed right by the boy without seeing him, there was a creature attached to the man's back. It was black smoke with flames for eyes in the shape of something like a little man. It had its legs wrapped around the man's waist and its hands were planted into the man's back. The silvery black substance that coursed through the man's body passed into and then back out of the wretched thing. 
It watched the boy as the man went down the driveway and then out into the mist. What's the matter? Pa asked as he looked around. That was Richie, Bubba. Do you remember Richie? Pa asked, and the boy thought he might have remembered, but then it was gone. He followed Pa this time, but not as closely as he did before. Not until he smelled the food, and then he felt like he floated the rest of the way into the house. And perhaps he did. The boy pedaled through the mist faster, and this time he remembered where he was going. He would go from, well, wherever it was that he had left from. He hadn't remembered that part yet, and he felt no curiosity about it. The boy thought about the food in the trailer at the end of the alleyway, and little else. He pedaled as fast as he could. His bike rolled, and his rickety little training wheels rolled along with him. He rode so hard and fast that bolts popped off of each training wheel. He pedaled even harder, standing up on the pedals and leaning forward. The cool, misty air blew into his face like ocean spray on a foggy seashore. He pedaled faster, and the training wheels fell off. He moved like a rocket. He flew like an eagle diving at a fish. He was speed in motion. He had only just enough time to stop before he hit the mist. He pushed back on the brakes. His back tire fishtailed this way and that. He swerved and wrecked. Three things happened then. The first was that the mist lifted from around the trailer and the boy could see the old man, Pa, sitting on the edge of the trailer's deck smoking a cigarette. The second was that the man of the little burning devil backed his car out of the drive and then drove through the wall of mist and disappeared into it. The third, which was also part of the second, was that another man had stepped out of the mist opposite of the trailer and walked straight through the side of the car. A yelp caught in the boy's throat as the man emerged, intact, sort of, on the other side. Perhaps it would be better to say that the man emerged uninjured. But he was not quite intact, as he was not all there. He appeared lost and confused. He walked directly toward the trailer, and the old man, no, that wasn't his name, his name was Pa, said hello to the man and asked him to come inside and have some food. He looked friendly with his same cheery smile, but his hair was completely white, and he looked tired and thin very thin. The man who had come from the mist grew more substantial and whole as he stepped across the doorway. Paul looked toward the street with a yearning in his face. He looked right at the boy, but didn't see him lying there on the ground beside his bicycle and behind a low bush. The boy turned then and saw that the mist had also lifted on the other side of the alleyway. The wall of mist was still there blocking him from going forward, but the other side of the alley was out in the daylight now. Chills ran through the boy as he looked over a field of stones of all shapes and sizes laid out like a graph upon the ground. Some were small and white, while others were made of polished granite and glistened in the sun. Many of these had flowers lying in front of them, while others had seen years of neglect and collected only moss. Names were etched into the faces of the stone, and the boy approached them cautiously. He passed over the fence and walked the rows of graves, looking at the names and dates he could barely read. He felt like he could have read once a little better, but now the letters didn't make any sense to him and the ache in his shoulder and head was back. He walked along until he came to a grave that wasn't brand new, but it wasn't that old either. He felt repelled by it. He felt drawn to it. He stepped forward and he was stopped by the sound of a word. Bub, the old man said quietly, but his voice carried across the street into the boy's ears. There were no other sounds the boy could hear other than that voice. I sure wish I could see you again, just one more time. The boy turned and ran, 
He ran across the field and over, no, through the fence. He ran, no, he flew up the driveway and threw himself headlong into Paw. It's the bub, the old man cried out and the boy shouted. Paw, it's the bub, and laughed. The old man laughed and then, though he had grown so incredibly thin, he scooped the boy up in his arms and kissed his forehead and cheeks. The boy giggled as the wiry beard scratched his face and the smell of nicotine and all the food cooked by the old woman, Ma, in the trailer brought memories flooding back. He had grown up in this house at the edge of the world next to the cemetery. Ma and Pa, his grandparents, had bathed him and fed him. They had given him presents on Christmas and cake on his birthday. He had ridden his bike down the alleyway every single day, and every day he had been met with love and left the same way. These people had been there as the doctor ushered him into life, and they had been there when... Well, that is where the boy's mind stopped, as did his curiosity. He followed Pa into the trailer where Ma, who looked no older than the first day he'd wandered in from the mist, stood over the stove. It's the bub, she cried, and there was so much joy in her voice that the boy found himself crying silently as she hugged him. The three of them sat down to a feast of fried chicken and mashed potatoes. They ate and laughed. Oh, Jay, Jay Bubba, Ma said after they sat down to peach cobbler on a small paper plate with globs of melting ice cream. Jay Bubba, we've missed you so, Ma said. Mama, don't, Pa started, but Ma carried on anyways. I remember holding you when your mom first had you at the hospital. You were my baby boy. Then your mom and dad moved in down the street and you came here every day. I raised you during the summer, and when your brothers were off at school, I watched you here by myself. It was just the two of us. Then Papa retired. He was so looking forward to spending time with you, Ma said. The boy didn't know what she meant, not exactly, but his head ached slightly and the pain in his shoulder had come back even worse. Eat some ice cream. Come on, live a little, bub, Pa said. And he did. For the rest of that day, the three of them ate peach cobbler and ice cream. Jay, or Bubba, even tried a little bit of Pa's coffee. Ma and Pa laughed with such merriment at the face he made at the bitterness of it that he drank it again just to see them laugh. For the rest of that day, the three of them sat there together and lived. Afterward, as Bubba knew he needed to leave once again, Pa walked him out to the front porch. Bubba hadn't noticed it before, but Pa had his own burning devil. As they stood, that little burning devil whispered into Pa's ear, and he lifted a cigarette to his lips and struck a match. The other man, Richie, was a distant cousin. Bubba knew that now, but he didn't know where the man went or what he did. That little burning devil of Richie's was something awful and intense. Pa's had been there all along, but it was more subtle. Bubba could see that its tendrils were much harder to see than the others had been, as they sank deep into Pa and grabbed onto parts of him where no one could see, not even Bubba. Pa, said Bubba. Yeah, Bub, Pa said as he held out his hand and Bubba took it. I'm sorry we never went fishing, Bub said. I'd really have liked to do that one more time. Me too, Bub, Pa said, and for a moment they were quiet, and then Bubba said, don't smoke those anymore. The smile that had spread across Pa's thin face was hard to interpret. It was a genuine smile, but it was other things as well. You never did like me smoking, Pa said, almost as if to himself. I remember one time I caught you breaking and flushing a whole pack of these down the toilet, he said as he held the cigarette up between his two fingers. He dropped it onto the porch and then rubbed his heel on it. 
Bubba drifted away then, called by some other force. He only looked over his shoulder once as he faded towards the mist and Pa stood there, watching him go, just as he always had. The boy pedaled through the mist, and when he felt he could go no faster, he let go of the handlebars and flew. His bike landed, as it had once before, in a twisted heap on the gravel. He remembered the sound of a blaring car horn. He remembered looking at Richie's surprised and disbelieving face as they made eye contact just before Jay slammed off the hood of the car. Next thing he remembered was weightlessness. And then he crashed into the ground and stared up at the blue sky. A moment later, Richie bent over him, tears in his eyes, and he was speaking, but Bubba couldn't hear him anymore. And a moment later, the world changed color. In a flash, he went from seeing Richie to seeing the burning devil that was burning darker than ever before. It was in total control of Richie then. It would come and go later, until the day it finally took him. But on that day, it had been in complete control. In many ways, it was that burning devil that had struck Bubba with the car. But it was also Richie. They had both hit him, and they had both fled and left him. They had left him so that his parents and his grandparents could wonder who had killed their child. Enough of the burning devil had been in control that Richie would go on, hiding amongst the family. But that day was the day the burning devil won the battle for Richie's soul. These memories swirled all around him in the mist, like scenes from a black and white film. Bubba flew down the alleyway to where the mist ended, and he went to Ma and Pa's trailer that stood on the edge of the world. He looked into the mist ahead and up at the trailer. It was all empty, and he suddenly felt completely alone. The boy sat down and cried. What you belly aching about? A voice came up from behind him. The boy, Bubba, turned and looked up. From the cemetery side of the street, Pa stood. His hair had more black in it than Bubba could ever remember. His skin was tanned, and his shirt was clean. There was a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve of his shirt. His hair shined in the sunlight. Come on, bub, let's get this over with, Pa said. The two of them went to the cemetery, and next to the new grave Bubba had seen the time before was another grave, freshly dug, with a coffin suspended above it. A group of faces Bubba recognized gathered around. Some were weeping, others were silent as the preacher prayed. Bubba moved through the crowd, touching all of those he loved. He hugged his mother, and though she didn't feel it, she stopped weeping for a moment and drew in breath. He put his arm around his older brothers, and they stood a little taller. He grasped his father's hand, and for a moment his father squeezed back. Finally, he went to Ma and took her hand. She looked at him, and even through her tears, she gave him a wink. Together, they watched as Pa's casket was lowered into the ground, and then he gave Ma one final hug. Well, Papa, she said as everyone else drew silent, you're in good hands now. Bubba turned and the old man stood, with his fishing hat in one hand and a couple of poles in the other. Bubba took his hand and together they stepped into the mist.
By the smell of the skunk ape! You fed the pork god, and now instead of trampling 50 people an hour, he's stopping out 500 people an hour! Good story, Brett. You too, Matt. I think they'll really be moved by that one. The desolator will blot out the entire Earth! I can't wait to see the Apple Podcast reviews. We've reached the coastline! The sea is boiling at his cloven toes! Won't you think of the endangered whales? Oh, yes! Let the whole world gaze on me in horror as I pass judgment on your pitiful attempts at existence! I was just a simple cryptozoologist and podcaster and... And this is almost making me regret joining your podcast instead. It really makes me stop and take about the good times. But I was in hot pursuit of Mothman and... This is what perfection looks like! Oh, hey. We're going down the coast now. I always love driving the PCH. Oh, so long, Calabasas. He's still growing bigger! But your stories are over! What is feeding him? I really think this is a great step forward for our show, Matt. Oh, criminy! I understand now, the demon feeds on fiction, yes, but but that, it, it's only one type of what really drives him. He feeds on... I really think we've achieved niche internet micro-celebrity now. He feeds on delusion! I'm surprised we're not on trending. And the biggest delusion of all... I think all the screaming means that we've really made it. Yeah, man. Is that a creative writing podcast is a viable livelihood? Hey, look, we're going through Los Angeles. Man, that's a lot of homeless. Well, <laughs> it was a lot of homeless. Now it's more a pate of homeless, a tent city puree. Well, if we're keeping it positive, at least you're eliminating your career past competition.
Good day, six sad boys and girls. Thank you for joining us on this journey. You can support us by leaving a rating and review on your preferred platform, like these winning champs. Derek Benson, who said, My new favorite podcast. These guys are dorks, and they do amazing work. Thanks? Really funny. By Yazen Bayram? I don't know how to say that name. From Germany. And how about Mac McIntyre's? The one I used on the website. Um, one of my all-time favorite podcasts. I'm binging every episode. I love this wacky, topsy-turvy podcast so darn much. And although I'm not finished yet, I noticed they haven't made any recent episodes. And that makes me so sad and nervous. I really hope they continue because this is such a fun and unique and special podcast. In fact, I'm going to go contribute and buy merch right now. High fives. I love this podcast. I need, to, <laughs> I need psychiatric help. So do we. So do we. And thank you... Mac McIntyre for the lovely email upon releasing our teaser trailer. It was good to hear from you. And you don't have to worry about the uh, the recent episodes because we will be making more. I the the name is in a different alphabet, so I have no idea. But the title of the review is awesome. It says you guys are awesome voice actors. I love your podcast and all the weird, all of its weird, creepy bizarreness. Good luck to you. It's called Russian. It, it is from Russia. Um, yeah, and we'll, we've had some more that we'll read in, in future episodes. Uh, but yeah, thanks for continuing to listen. And welcome to Sick Fiction. For all our old listeners, just know that this is a bit of a rebrand, um, but much of our original podcast will exist within the skin of this podcast. But there really isn't much to say other than thank you for continuing to listen. That's right. Same spirit, fresh flesh. Thanks to everyone for your support. Thanks also to Eric Paulson. But that's all for now. Until the shark angels come, Godspeed, strange cowboy. anymore sorry i was late <laughs> boy we're peaking the audio with patrick it's kind of funny that i've just gone right back into his voice without even having to warm up for it he's been lurking three inside years of you. later here comes patrick i'm glad you held on to the guy well it was a lot of homeless it's more like a pate of homeless a tense okay. a what pate. pate oh my god <laughs> what is that page of I mean, seriously, how many cooking shows have I watched with my wife? If we're keeping it positive, at least you're eliminating your career path competition. That's terrible. But kind of funny. <laughs> like I said, will we ever make something that's not a hate crime? <laughs> Probably not. There's my clip for the header. <laughs> I was just thinking you were probably wishing I'd call. Sent five your way. Fragrant. <laughs> Fragrant disrespect. I love the smell of fragrant disrespect. <clears throat> Is it hard to go tomorrow? No. How am I going to voice the teacher? <laughs> Perfect. Durant knew it had rung a... Durant knew it had rung a bell and now he recalled hearing it mentioned in the hall. He sat at his desk and typed, God damn computer. <clears throat> That's not what he typed. The boy pedaled his bicycle through the mist and over the gravel road. 
The air, cool at first, did not raise a single goose pump up on Goose pump. <laughs> not going there. <laughs> Yet what was behind him, he did not know. And what lay in his future, he couldn't say. He looked back over his shoulder, and his head filled with swirls of black, white-hot liquid. That, there, there. <laughs> I, I, that's not why I was pausing. <laughs> I just realized there was a comma, and I had, had an intentional pause, and I didn't take it, and then that's where I ended, with white-hot liquid. <laughs> just, just going to let it sit. We'll just read, this, ended, yeah, yeah, just read the story, and just white-hot liquid. Heat burned from <laughs> and just don't edit it out. No. <laughs> a pain like torch fire went across. That's a, that's not a, I don't like that sentence. A pain like fire, torch fire just sounds like that doesn't add anything to it, right? It's special fire. Well, torch fire is pokey fire. You can poke that's right. It's just. Why did you say that? A pain like pokey fire. A pain like pokey fire. <laughs> Scott, stab it for a second. That's going to happen a lot tonight. <laughs> he turned the knob and pushed it hard, and the door caught on something hard with a bang. Ooh, too many hearts in that sentence. <laughs> now don't be so disappointed. I'd just like a meal for the two of us, he said, but it only came out in a whisper. That is not how I read that. <laughs> Grab a derp a derp a derp a derp. It took our jobs. All right. Seasoning shook, potatoes smashed. Okay, that's not what I said. <laughs> smashed. <laughs> smashed. <laughs> she just hated the potatoes so much. You don't want to smash potatoes. <laughs> that is in the like parlance of our time. Smashing is very different. Let's <laughs> go smash them taters. Hey. Hey, Billy Bob Jean, let's go smash some taters. That's the southern version of American Pie. That's right. That's <laughs> Instead of American Pie, that's, smashed taters with a hole in the potato. A table covered in plates and bowls full of brisket, ribs, sausages, and sausage. I skipped a word. You stumbled over that sausage. I skipped some words and then stumbled over the sausage. Three hang... <laughs> it just, it just, I, I just quit working. Like my mouth just quit working. <laughs> the boy, the boy, the boy. Pause had been there all along, but it was more subtle. Subtle, subtle, su- subtle. <laughs> I do that every time I see it spelled out. The boy pedaled through the mist, and when he felt he could go no faster, he let go of the handlebars. <laughs> Blars. <laughs> handlebars. You can support us by leaving a rating and review on your preferred platform, like these winging, winging champs. I hope you guys like the rebrand. Rebrand. Should I just read this part now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Matt. Read what is up. <laughs> and welcome to Sick Fiction. You know, you're getting that sexy, smooth smoker voice that you tend to get after voicing Puggles for 20 minutes. Puggles will do it to you.